GDPR may be the foremost heard letters in European business this year. The comprehensive data regulation took effect in May of 2018. Meant to harmonise a patchwork of existing EU data privacy laws, the GDPR has had far-reaching implications. And the compliance date was just the beginning, not the end, as companies need to stay on top of a constantly shifting path to compliance. I'm Steve Dunn from Workday, and today on the Workday podcast, we'll talk more about GDPR, what it means, how it's going, and advice to listeners on how to approach it. To help us navigate this thicket, we're joined by Marcel Peters, specialist leader at Deloitte Netherlands. Welcome, Marcel. Hello, welcome. Perfect. We'll start, Marcel, if we can, just if you can give us a brief background on your own journey and how you came to be at Deloitte and, and thinking about this topic of GDPR. Yeah, so um, short introduction. Uh, my name is Marcel Peters. I'm from Deloitte in the Netherlands, um, working for Deloitte for almost eight years now, and got in touch with Workday two years prior to that. Uh, worked for an American company where we implemented Workday and yeah, loved the system, so wanted to do more and uh, hence uh, ended up in, uh, uh, at Lloyd and implementing since. Um, if I look at GDPR, yeah, so it's, it's relatively new, but it's kind of all, also old. So uh, and like you mentioned, you, you had uh, in Europe already a lot of uh, loose regulations where in some countries they were very tight and very strict and in other countries they were kind of loose. So um, I think it's a good step forward. And yeah, in, in my eight years at Lloyd, we saw that transition and we are now where we are. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And as you said, I mean, we're six months on from, from the GDPR compliance date. Based on the many conversations you have with European uh, organisations, how are they performing in terms of GDPR and any regional differences across countries that you've noted? Yeah, so you see, you see uh, basically the countries where GDPR was already um, quite strict, like Germany was the worst councils, France, uh, Netherlands as well, of course, Belgium. Um, it's not a big shift. It's more, you know, putting dots on the eye. But if you look at uh, former Europe or Eastern European countries, um, uh, Southern Europe, they're, yeah, uh, complying to the law is sometimes already a challenge. So putting restrictions on top of that is an, it's an extra level. So um, there they, um, yeah, you see that they are, um, have some more challenges. They, they struggle with it, with it a little bit more. I think um, some of the cynics out there might kind of scoff at the idea that the, that the European Union is going to start handing out fines to, to non-compliant companies but what, what do you think is that is that something that's going to start happening i don't see that happening now you see that um, a lot of countries are still in the transition they got a lot of information and they knew before that they need to change something but um, uh, making this change is not always uh, or not always easy because yeah if you have a very rigid system then it's very hard to uh, to make changes so um, complying is then more done uh, after entering it into the system. So entering into the system allows you more than what you are allowed to report. So, yeah, there you see some patchwork and you see some uh, some uh, small things. But I think so, till now there's not been a, a, a big miscompliance. To uh, and I also think that they're not going to give fines immediately. So if you're one year from now and you still don't have your act together, then you might be in, at risk. But normally with these kind of uh, big changes they always give you some leeway and some slack to um, get, yeah, to get it working. And I, I think it will be a warning first and then they will fine you. It will not be a fine immediately. 
diving in a little bit to the to the kind of the regulation itself, because I think some of the criticism around GDPR has been that you know it's confusing for for ordinary organisations, right? The language around it. Can you can you talk to us about the data rights for the for the data subject and, and what that what that means? It's uh, basically the company needs to have a good reason for them to capture the information they capture on you. So if they want to capture, and it's, it's an ex- example, if they want to capture disability and it's not, it does not have any impact on your uh, payslip, it does not have any legal reporting to, to have that information in your system, then the company doesn't have a good reason to store that information. And that would be a reason for an employee to say, you know, I don't want to disclose that information. And they have the right to do so. If they don't see the need to have it and the company cannot explain them why they need it, then they can just say, you know, I don't want to dis- disclose it. And that's the right you have as an employee. You have the right to, to uh, also to alter the information. You know, you're at any point in time you can change it to something else. So if you, and simple example is of course marriage that you can change and you <laughs> want to give that information, but you you have the right as an employee to to make that change and to give that uh, information to uh, to the uh, um, to your employer. Yeah, that's interesting. I think one of the biggest areas of confusion seems to be around how, when, where, and for how long you can you can actually store data for. How does the right to be forgotten play into that idea? Yeah, so the right to be forgotten is an interesting one because basically um, it, it, you you never existed, but still the company wants to have you for you know trend reporting and stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, that that's the balance where the the employer has a lot of need to have the information, and you as an employee can say, you know, hey, I don't work for you anymore for last five years. I don't want you to have any record that I ever worked for you. So that's the right to be forgotten if you are an employee and you're terminated. Also, if you applied for a job, you know, if you did not get a job, well, companies can say, you know, we, we keep you on file, but. Basically, you can say, you know, I don't want to be uh, disturbed anymore. I'm, I'm not available for you anymore. So that's another one. But the uh, the challenge you have with the um, uh, with the right to be forgotten is especially for the people who are already employed with you. You know, what type of information can you delete while the person is still employed uh, with you? And that's where uh, especially uh, the uh, the current ERP system is struggling with. Because it's yeah, it's, it's not built to destroy anything. It's built to to keep the data for years and years and years. Mm. Now that's that's very interesting. I think you know, in terms of sensitive data that that an organisation might potentially want to share with other businesses in the future. So if there's been you know any misdemeanors or if something's happened from an HR perspective, why a person's been removed from a company? How does how does that kind of play into that? Because if there's anything sensitive that needs to be kept for for some reason, how would that be impacted? There are um, uh, timelines for uh, all of those things. If you if you had a misconduct, it's not something it's not something you can uh, keep for eternity. If you compare it to the real life, you know, once a thief is not always a thief, and that's that's also with employees. You know, if they did something wrong, you need to give them the benefit of a doubt. And at a certain moment, if they you know if they performed well, it shouldn't be a blocker for them to make their next move and to have that information for the next manager to say, oh yeah, seven years ago you did something wrong and for that reason I'm going to lay you off now. That's, yeah. not, that's not allowed. So There are probably listeners here who are using on-premise software yeah. um, 
and, and those who've made the shift to the cloud as well. But you know, is there an ideal way? Is there an optimum way of doing it? And, and is there even beyond cloud? You know, what are the technologies that are ideal to, for, for GDPR? Is there an optimum way? There's an easy way. <laughs> I think with uh, with Workday or with another cloud solution, you already have the the flexibility to have more control of your setup and make it a little bit easier. You know, if you look at uh, the configuration you can make, you can say, I want to have these uh, personal information fields only applicable for these countries, only allowed or or even mandatory. You can configure that and. With um, and you can put the retention sheets on that one, so you can say, you know, I want to delete it after so many uh, times. So at least, you know, they're working on that purging process. With on-premise, it's a little bit di- different because it was never built to to really. It was built to keep the data, but not to throw it away. So yeah, that that a little bit diff- more difficult to uh, to have that in place. And also, uh, if something is already in there, then most of the time it's embedded in so many downstream systems that it's also very hard to get it out again. So hmm. it, is there an optimum way? No, but you have ways to make it easier. And I think, you know, uh, uh, cloud solutions make it a little bit easier because there there's a distinction between, you know, your your hardware and your configuration. You know, I think there's a lot of talk, obviously, about digital transformation. Every man and his dog seems to be uh, talking about that. But, you know, GDPR has been viewed in by many years in a very negative sense, but you know, is it actually leading organisations to make positive transformations around things like you know their HR infrastructure, for, for example? Is that kind of a positive? So I think the good thing is that HR really needs to uh, think and do kind of a, a reset. Do we really need the data that we are capturing? And what's, the, what's our purpose? So what's the purpose of the data, but also what's our purpose? So you see more and more, especially the bigger, bigger companies, that they have uh, a GDPR officer or at least someone who is specialized in GDPR and who's um, checking with, uh, within the company, you know, are we fu- fully compliant and are we able to uh, explain to people and to ourselves why we need this information in this country at this particular time for this this period of time. So if you have all of that information ready, then it's easy to make your plan to move to GDPR. And otherwise, it's kind of a patchwork, you know, country access. Oh, yeah, we need this, this and country Y says we do this. And so you see it now more combined into one function, which mm. makes it uh, makes it easier. Yeah. And um, what advice would you give to any listeners um, as they kind of either embark or continue their their GDPR journey, any anything so that that you've learned on your on your way? Yeah, so don't wait. Start <laughs> as quickly as possible, and also don't over engineer it. You know, uh, in most cases, good is good enough. And uh, if you're not a hundred percent sure, then you know, just take it out for now and really. Go with your uh, your GDPR officer or someone else who uh, has all this information to really find the answer if this is information we need to capture. But start as soon as possible. So it's not something which can really wait because that you can, especially if you are embarking into a new uh, uh, transformation within HR, it's so much easier to put it as part of your transformation than you know, at the end say, oh, yeah, by the way, did we fully comply with GDPR? All right, that's um, all the time we have for today. I want to thank Marcel Peters from Deloitte for joining us at the Workday podcast. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast. I'm Steve Dunn, and thanks for listening. Listener.